0: The following episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show was recorded before the writer's strike began. Our guest is in full support of the strike and stands in solidarity with the effort of fellow writers in their fight for fair wages and protections. Hi,
1: I'm Andy Yerkes and you're
2: listening to the podcast where nostalgia comes alive.
1: It's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Roll it.
2: Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode.
3: Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. Happy to here with us. I'm your host, Jake Devenbaugh, and our co-host, Chris Bixby, and Matt Bingo. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing good. good, Jake. Hello, everybody.
2: How are we doing, are you doing Jake?
3: Jake? Uh, that's great to hear. I'm doing great, as always. Chris, what do we have for today?
2: Very excited about today's guest. He is a writer. He wrote for Sesame Street for several years. Um, he wrote for a number of other... TV series such as *The Fairly Odd Parents*, Doc McStuffins, and we're going to talk about that and some other things he's done as well. And here he is, Ed Valentine. Happy to have you here.
1: Hi, everybody. Glad to be here, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure. Of course, very
2: happy to have you here. Definitely. So, in your own words, could you kind of introduce yourself a little bit and what you do?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah, so I'm Ed Valentine. Um, I started out as an actor and a playwright, and I still am sometimes an actor and definitely a playwright. Um, I went uh, to, well, I've had a number of different lives. I was the worst, world's worst barista for a while. I was really, really bad at that. Um, And uh, an office temp. And then for a number of years, I actually taught uh, elementary school. Um, I was a fourth grade teacher. I taught English, math, and social studies um, and I had a great time, but I realized while I was doing that, that I, I think I, I really had sort of left the creative pursuits and the things that um, I had really planned to do behind, specifically theater and writing. Um, and it was, it was during that time that I started taking classes. This is now around uh, the year 2000, the, the turn of the century. And uh, I started taking classes at night with a famous playwright, a fabulous playwright named Tina Howe. She saw a great deal of potential in me. Um, she knew that I had a big imagination, uh, and I think she uh, realized that that I had, you know, I could do more than than be in a classroom each day. Um, there's nothing wrong with being in a classroom. I, I just had other things that I wanted to do as well. Um, so, with Tina's encouragement, I went to uh, uh, went to NYU for grad school. Uh, and it was there that I uh, started writing for, taking classes and writing for television. Um, I found that the plays that I write are often big. I would have um, the death of the giant lumberjack, Paul Bunyan and a little girl who tries to bury him um, or uh, the true mother of the flag uh, instead of Betsy Ross and um, all these kind of large epic, uh, sometimes Americana themes. Um, and it wasn't necessarily uh, what was in vogue at the time. A lot of, at the time, a lot of people in, in plays were doing um, small kind of Starbucks plays or couch plays or play set in a hotel room. Um, and so I think when some of the, the teachers there in NYU and grad program started to see my work, they were like, you know, w- another place that would be a, a good fit for you is television and specifically animated television. I think that um, they recognize the potential in my style to be uh, a good fit for for animation writing in general. Um, I worked there, I studied with uh, Charlie Rubin, um, who was a really, uh, sorry, um, uh, sorry, sorry, uh, uh, Charlie Rubin, (laughs) Charlie Rubin was later. I started with uh, Joe Kelly first, um, and um, then I uh, and who worked on a lot of Marvel stuff. He I did a lot of animation with um, with Joe, uh, and it was after I graduated from that program that I um, uh, applied for and got the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship um, back in two thousand seven, and so I moved out to LA at that point and started writing for television. Uh, When I was there, um, my work on Sesame was actually on a parallel track, uh, but everything I can do, I can trace back to the night that I went to Tina House class. I think that the the path that I'm on is uh, exactly exactly from here. Um, And so it's uh, it's it's uh, it's been a great time.
3: Awesome. So what was
1: your background like and how did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Jersey and New York City, with a, a little bit of time in Boston and North Carolina, uh, but mostly on the East Coast and in the tri-state area up here, um, where I still live. I'm I'm still in New York, um, so going to California later was was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a shock for me. It's quite a different. It's a different world out there. Um, I grew up. Um, we moved around a little bit with my family, so I think a lot of time was spent reading books, watching television. Um, enjoying um, movies, um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of time is you know every time you move, it it takes a little bit of of time to make friends again, um, and so I think that sort of fostered the imagination. Um, I loved you know I was growing up at this incredibly fertile time for movies for Star Wars and the Muppet movie and The Empire Strikes Back. A little bit later, Ghostbusters and oh, Indiana yeah. Jones. Right, so. Yeah. Um, these great big epic adventures um and comic adventures too i think people forget that raiders is an incredibly incredibly funny film and ghostbusters is hilarious really um and uh and so i think those things really uh fostered my sense of humor and fostered my taste as i as i grew up as i grew up and and started writing on my own so what was your first very first writing job my first writing job, um, well, out of school, uh, out of grad school, um, was, uh, I guess they, they staffed us during my Nickelodeon writing, um, my writing fellowship, which was a year long. Um, I was staffed on a bunch of different shows and the one that, that was really the best fit for me was Fairly Oddparents. And then I was yes. hired on for that show. Yeah. Uh awesome. you fan?
3: You're a fan, I hope? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we grew awesome. Yeah, we grew
1: up, yeah, we grew up watching mm-hmm. that show a lot yeah so, that's awesome that's awesome um Very amazing show yeah it's, it's super funny and so i was i was staffed on that as a fellow um and then from there uh you know they i i guess i was part of the writing room and uh, fellowship is an incredible incredible opportunity um and uh i i was uh i was actually uh on a couple of shows before that but odd parents was was really the best fit for my sense of humor and my sensibility. Um, and I love the animation. I love the characters. And there are so many stories that that you can tell with them, with Cosmo and Wanda and Timmy. And I think, um, you know, it it was a good fit. So I, I was hired on for that show right out of the fellowship. So the fellowship was sort of technically my first writing job. It was, um, it really was a, they, they were very, very clear. My boss at the time, Karen Kirkland, who is actually left her job as head of the fellowship and eventually became an agent. And she's now my agent. Um, Karen was wow. very clear. Yeah, she's been, she's been great. She's been a really great force in my life. Um, and I think, you know, she was very, very clear from the beginning. I remember going to my first interview and, and kind of saying, well, I know that, you know, we're here as writers, but Probably people will need us to get coffee or get the newspaper because i'd I'd actually been a page at NBC in one of my other lives. and I knew that that was something that people certainly end up doing, right, for executives. And um, Karen was very clear. She said, absolutely not. you're if if you get this job, you're here to be a writer, and you're not a gopher. you're not fetching coffee. People need to see you um and respect you as a writer and so you're going to be in the room um you're going to be contributing and you're going to be learning the room um so that really was the first i would say my first writing job and then the the first staff job was at odd parents um and uh and i i really was i wrote on that show for i think it was the seventh season um and i'm really really proud to have been a part of that
2: nice so so now how did you begin working on Sesame Street? Because like I said in your introduction, you
1: wrote for that for a couple of years too. Absolutely. Yeah, I was on for Sesame at about, for about seven years. Um, and I still occasionally do some stuff working with their international division. Um, Sesame Street was the show that taught me how to read and taught me how to write. Um, and uh, puppets are a big part of my life. I think a lot of my early early work was w- was trying to recreate the feeling of the camaraderie that the muppets have on the muppet show um i think that's probably why i got into into theater in the first place um and i still use puppets i, I i've actually written lots of stuff for puppets um in theater and i often try to put puppets or masks into into the plays that i write um so sesame was always kind of a absolute dream job right um and i was um um it was while i was actually at nyu that i met uh he he came in he was one of the head writers of the show at at, at one time lou berger um oh yeah I mean, we actually previously previous guest of hers yeah. Yeah. He, yeah he's, he's great lou's a great friend
2: of ours yeah yes. lou,
1: lou is tremendous what, a, what an amazing amazing guy um, he came and actually spoke to um, spoke to my graduating class, uh, kind of about television and his he was so upbeat and so positive. And um, he actually had known me because of Tina's class. I had gotten a couple of awards in playwriting that Lou and his wife, Lily, were in charge of giving. Um, so he actually knew my work, even though we'd never actually met. Uh, so after he spoke to my class, I um I I went and introduced myself to him, and he said, "Why don't you come meet me at at the offices?" So I went and met him at the Sesame offices, which are awesome. Um, it's really it, that was, of course, not the set, but the uh, you know the the walls are full of chalkboard paintings of the characters. Um, oh yeah, yeah. and uh, very real uh real slice of my childhood there. Uh, and during the course of the, we really hit it off. And I think Lou asked me if I'd ever be interested in writing for the show. Um, and I, I said, I, of course I would. So he put me through an audition process of writing, um, some scripts, writing some characters, writing some shorts, um, that went on probably for about a year, um, until, uh, he was, I guess, no longer had writer. He, by the time that, I guess, by the time my fellowship was over, that audition period was over too, and uh, Joey Mazzarino was the head writer then. And then I was brought uh, on to Sesame as a, as a as a full staff writer there. Um, wrote, wrote for them for several years. And um, one of the very proudest things that I, I think it will probably be one of the things I'm proudest of on my deathbed is that I got to go overseas to work with the Indian show, uh, the, the show in Bangladesh. I even got to work with the Afghanistan team. We met in India um and really I went over a few times with those and boy that was that was just so life changing. Um you you probably know that there are over 40. I'm not sure even how many there are now, but there oh, are oh yeah, there's, there's oh, a lot
2: of international co-productions of Sesame. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And so um your your viewers might not know that you know they're they're really authentic local productions of Sesame Street. Um, oh yeah, that's still still pay homage to, um, you know, what Sesame uh, Sesame Workshop does and and what the American Sesame Show is. Um, some of the characters that, that you'd recognize are on there as well. Sometimes it kind of depends on country to country. Uh, Elmo is often on there. Grover is a big hit usually around the world, um, depending on the country, Bert and Ernie. But really, uh, the countries get a chance to develop their own characters. Um, the uh, character, lead character in India is a little girl named Chomky in a, um, you know, a familiar Indian school girl, school girl dress. Um, and to foster women's empowerment and women's education, uh, Chomky is, she loves judo and she loves soccer and she wants to be a scientist. And there's, she's got, um, she goes to school, she loves her, she loves school, she loves her friends. Um, but I think the show does so much good, uh, for all, all the kids and often really meets them where they are. Right. Um, I think, uh, making sure that, that the shows they do locally are written by, uh, people in, in on the ground in the countries, the music, the direction, the puppeteering, um, every time they start a new season, they bring or start a new team, Kind of periodically, they'll bring a team of producers, writers, puppeteers, directors over uh, to to help people there create a show that's both authentically Sesame and authentically local. So I would go over as a head writer of that those first seasons to make sure that we were all in sync, um, and then kind of step away and hand the show off um, to the local team. Um, it was it was just fantastic i got to i got to see the world um but i got to meet these incredible people who are all united in a mission to uh to to really help make kids lives better um and to to educate and entertain um and uh yeah that i'm really really proud of that
0: uh-huh. now i'm curious do you have any favorite episodes or inserts that you wrote for sesame
1: oh my gosh um let's think so uh, I think one of my favorites was called Grover Does It All. Um, Grover Does It All was an episode where um, Grover, uh, because as you know, Grover has all sorts of different jobs. One day he's a cab driver, the next he's a chef. Um, yeah. So uh, Grover Grover wears many hats. And I I <laughs> think... I think I, I sympathize with Grover and uh, empathize with Grover, I suppose, uh, because I, I wear a lot of hats too. Um, and juggling uh, life can be hard, right? Juggling all the things oh, yeah. you want to do or try to do can, can be difficult. Um, so I wrote an episode where Grover literally um, on the same day wanted to, I think he wanted to be a basketball player, a ballet dancer, a cook, Uh, A painter, and there might have been a couple of other things in there. Um, And so we had a lot of fun uh, putting Grover through his paces, in which he becomes increasingly exhausted as the day goes on um, the 10 minutes, right? 10 minute, 12 minute episode. um, Because it's part of the street scenes, the street stories, uh, the live parts of Sesame. Um, and the, the lesson there was, of course, that, you know, it's great to try a lot of different things, but maybe you want to try them one at a time, maybe you don't need to, maybe you don't need to do them all at the very same moment. Um, <laughs> and so uh, it was really fun. I, I, I feel like it's been a little while now, but I, I think we had like all these extra hands where he's juggling stuff and he's, he's trying to, try to literally juggle plates and ballet dance and do basketball at the same time. It got pretty crazy. <laughs> Um, (laughs) wow that was that one was super fun um but another one i think that will always be very very close to my heart is the very first one i did which was uh the first street scene that i did street story was uh sesame street osaurus um and in that episode um i guess uh, i think it was elmo who found um what he thought were the bones of a dinosaur he was determined that these had to be the bones of a dinosaur, but really they were, um, they were, was it Grover? I can't remember at this, I think maybe it was Grover. Maybe Grover Grover found what he thought were the bones, but they turned out to be like a ladle and a xylophone. And what they decided to do, the characters, was that they would put them together uh, to look like a dinosaur. They'd make a model of a dinosaur, even though they weren't real bones. but for me, the the real joy of that was I wrote this because I, I do write lyrics. I um you know they I guess Joey when he hired me asked, Do you do you write lyrics? And I said, Yes, I do. Um and so I I wrote a song called The Paleontologist Conga. And we uh, you know, I I hadn't I hadn't worked with the show before. I didn't know kind of what their process was. So I wrote I wrote a somewhat complicated song um, with a bit of wordplay uh, about dinosaurs and, and paleontologists. Um, and when I got to the studio, they kind of, as a, almost as a last minute decision, they were like, oh, wait, what if the characters, what if Grover and Elmo, and I forget who, I think it was Rosita, and I think it was Rosita in that one. What if instead of uh, the characters singing it on the street, what if they went into kind of a fantasy at at an archeological dig and they, they like have paleontologists like digging real bones. Right. So this was like a a last minute change. So I got to the studio and all of a sudden there were these whatnot Muppets and like a, a, you know, a a set of an archeological dig and these giant bones um, and all these characters in pith helmets along with Grover and Elmo kind of dancing along and singing this this song. Um it was it was just really, really magical to 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 be uh suddenly like, oh yeah, this can be this this doesn't have to just be on the street. Like this can this can happen anywhere. Um it was it was a real marriage of the writing and the music team and like the puppet wranglers and suddenly like the costume people it, it was quite a set of people of course it was really super impressive um that they made this magic um and that we all made it together
2: uh, nice um, on on the subject of rosita one of my favorite one of my other favorites that you wrote was the episode uh miami yita rosita
1: oh thank you oh yes that That's- music was was done by lin-manuel miranda um as you may know uh-huh. um oh yeah so so uh I, I did not get to meet Lin Manuel, um, but he wrote such great music for that show. Um, thanks. What what what's your memory of that show?
2: Well, because as a because as a kid, Rosita was always one of my uh, favorite characters. So really, just getting to see any episode focus on Rosita was really special.
0: Oh yes, oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah,
2: and, also. And, and, and and yeah, Carmen's a previous guest of ours too
1: oh fabulous carmen uh, is wonderful carmen's so just so so extraordinary person what so a wonderful sweet. wonderful person so sweet. Yeah. i will tell you that episode came you know because of course it's you know there's there's a great education team at sesame workshop and um i think we you know we were we were talking about different issues that people face and and i think we had someone come in and 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 if i recall he, he was talking about um, how so many kids' books that are geared for Latinos, um, you know, feature? I know it's going to sound awful, but they said over and over that as a kid, especially if it's Mexico, it's a kid with a sombrero sitting with a burro under a cactus, and that becomes uh, kind of offensively stereotypically stereotypical yeah. right away. Um, and he was like, "We need to." This, the speaker was talking to us as writers and creators of the show, and you know all the the whole department wide kind of have these educational meetings in which we think at the beginning of the season about what's you know what's next and what what do we need to address. And I think you know this was the the idea was to give in in that episode. If people haven't seen it, Rosita gets a book where there's a kid with a sombrero and a burrow and a cactus. And she's sort of like, man, I've got more, I've got more to me than this. I, I, I'm so much broader than that little slice of, um, of, of life, which doesn't apply to me at all. I, I live on Sesame street. This is, this has nothing to do with me. Um, and then she ends up writing her own story um, in which she kind of talks about her culture and the culture of her family, um, showing that we're, we're very, we are all very diverse and we have a lot of, um, even within groups, there's lots of ways to be who you are. Um, I'm glad you, I'm glad you like that show, Chris. That was, that's, that's a, that's one I'm very fond of. Uh, So who are some of your favorite characters to write for? Oh my gosh. Well, Let's see. It depends on the show, right? Uh, Cosmo was Cosmo was a dream to write for. Um, Cosmo is super, super, super funny, um, and so wacky on Fairly Oddparents. Um, oh certainly yeah. Certainly on on Sesame Grover I, again was was I think the kind of the maybe the closest to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I and, love, uh, Gotta love
0: Grover. Gotta love. A lot God. of people it's have said Grover in the past.
1: Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Not the
0: only one you won't be the last.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I am. I am not surprised. Uh, Grover, i not either. I'm not, either. Just,
0: I'm not yeah. surprised either.
1: Grover is just so endearing, and he tries so hard, and and he fails so hard. And it's really, um, it's just sort of it, it's it's just sort of kind of an evergreen comic, um, you know, just really. Um, com- the comic potential in 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 that is is endless. I think um, I wrote for I wrote for my My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic. Um, I think Rainbow Dash was really fun to write there. Um, I ended up writing a lot of the Cutie Mark Crusaders episodes for some reason. Um, hopefully, I did it well, but I was a little surprised because it it didn't um, it didn't necessarily like those wouldn't be necessarily the characters that. I think I first gravitated to during the show. Um, I would say that Scootaloo, you know, when, when, in the earlier seasons, when Scootaloo was trying to, uh, hoping to fly like Rainbow Dash because she loves Rainbow Dash, um, but couldn't quite fly. And, uh, there was an episode I wrote called flight to the finish, um, where, uh, she almost quit like a, a big Olympic type competition because she couldn't fly. And um, I think the wh- where I was, my way into this was this feeling that um, the other ponies still loved her. And they, they the Cutie Mark Crusaders were like, it's okay if you can't fly. Um, there are a lot, maybe you will, and maybe you won't uh, fly someday, but um, here's what you can do. You can, you can do the things that make you, you, you make you you. Um, so I, I think I found my way into the warmth of those episodes. Um, they they allowed them to be very kind and uh, tender towards each other, and I really really appreciated that. Um, but of the grown up ponies, I think uh, Rainbow Dash was was for me the most fun to write. Um, I think everybody tends to have their favorite. who any fan of that show tends to have their favorite pony, but I really liked her her kind of puppyish energy um and and her drive like it was very very exciting and who wouldn't want to fly so that that's all that's that's a really fun part of her um those are some of the ones ones that i think of um but like i've gotten to write for spider-man um when, when i wrote for ultimate spider-man um and i will say there i got to write a deadpool episode called ultimate deadpool oh um, nice yeah and writing deadpool was honestly uh really one of the the very very best um, best things that that I got to do, um, Deadpool Deadpool is completely off the wall, and Joe Kelly who I'd mentioned before, and I did miss, misspeak before. I I got tongue tied when when I came on because I was talking about um, I had two Rubens in my life. I had Charlie Rubin who taught me at grad school at NYU. Um, he was a great great is a great TV writer, um, and he wrote a lot for. Um, Law and Order, I guess, you, but he's very famous for Seinfeld. And Charlie was a great teacher and mentor. I had Fred Rubin at Nickelodeon. Um, but one of the um, great things about uh, one of the other teachers that I had, who was Joe Kelly, who I mentioned before, um, Joe was the one, he, he was one of my teachers at NYU. And then with Man of Action, he um, became a, a writer for Marvel stuff. Um, and he gave me this Deadpool episode, and I remember him saying, "I was like, so how far? the the way they worked was they would give you a uh, an outline, and uh, you know the men men of action, man of action, as a team, and kind of really gone through the outline beat by beat um, with Disney at the time to really try to uh, hand you as a writer uh, an episode that was kind of fully." vetted even if the dialogue wasn't there the beats of the episode had really been thought out so um they did this amazing amazing job of of giving you a lot to work with and and something a very clear roadmap to work with it was great um and I remember I think at the end of that episode in their outline it said something like and then uh, Deadpool and Spider-Man fight and something crazy happens and Deadpool goes off and I was like Joe what um how crazy can I get? Like, what are the rules here? And he was like, just go for it. See what you can see what you come up with. And, uh, and I was like, okay, we'll see. And I think I had Deadpool. uh, Like as a deus ex machina, I think he rode off in, a, in a sleigh with a Santa hat, a sleigh pulled by alligators or something. Um, oh, wow. And it was, it was a crazy ending. And I was like, they are never, go- they're not gonna, they're not gonna go for this. This is too far. And they made it, and it was like, okay, that's that's the line. You can go as you can go as far as you want to go with Deadpool.
2: So, speaking of uh, writing for characters on Sesame, you got to write for the uh, segments Abby's Flying Fairy School and yeah. Cookie's Crummy Pictures. What was it like writing right. those?
1: Those are fun, right? So, Abby's Flying Fairy School was was something very new for Sesame Street. It was their first fully mm-hmm. uh, fully animated. as i recall with the characters um Mm -hmm. and they did 3d animation um my understanding and i this story may be apocryphal but but i'm i'm going with it was that the animation excuse me at first was not quite um it didn't look quite muppety it didn't quite it didn't quite look like the sesame street muppets um and someone realized that they had based the armature on a a regular skeleton on a human skeleton um, which is what you would think you would do. Right. But um, what they really needed to do to make the characters live in the world of the Sesame street Muppets was they had to build the armature on a hand on, on a um, you know, on, on what a human hand would look like in a inside a puppet. Um, and this is the story I was told that, that when they did that, then they started looking like they were they were fully in, in the puppet world. Um, I thought the animation on Abby's Flying fairy School was was great, and it really allowed us to tell um, funny stories that that were sort of out of the world of of the street, um, you know, in this kind of uh, crazy world with magic. Um, I didn't write too many uh, of, of the cookie's crummy pictures. I think I might have just written one. And that was a Harry Potter parody. Um, oh yes, somebody, I remember
2: that. Remember mm.
1: that one? Yeah. As somebody who really, really loves Harry Potter, um, I think that uh, that was that was super fun to be able to do. I was not on set for that one. They did a lot of green screen stuff on on those. Um, but uh, you know, those those were, I think, it, again, they, they were they were a little bit challenging because they were also interactive. Um, and so you sort of had to, uh, for those who, of you who haven't seen them, uh, Cookie sort of plays th- th- their movie parodies at their heart, but each one of them is sort of an interactive game in which you have to figure out um, how Cookie has a series of challenges that get a little bit harder each time and a little bit more complicated. Um, they were, um designed to kind of develop the viewer's executive function. So things like patience and choice-making and, um, task persistence, right? So, so, you don't you don't just throw up your hands and quit after something gets a little too hard. Um, and really that was kind of, for me, the most challenging part of that to kind of not just tell a story, uh, that's from start to finish, but to tell, um, to to have a game that a viewer would be interacting with, where you could actually have them play along at home, um, where Cookie could actually turn to them, and or the one of the other characters could turn to the viewer and be like, you know, which which one would you choose? This is red and green. Which which based on them the different clues. I did find them. I didn't find them. A, a, that was kind of different than really telling a story that was just set on the street. Um, and yeah, it was it was an interesting it was an interesting challenge. And again, the film parody part of that was right up my alley.
2: Nice. So aside from writing for the Sesame Street show, you also got to write for the Connect Sesame Street TV game for the Xbox 360. Can you kind of talk about your work on that?
1: Oh my gosh. Um I got to write for that one, did I? That is a long time ago. Um I have to be honest, I really um look i've been at this for for a while right and so there's sometimes that you know you you do something and you don't i know it's going to sound crazy but if you work on as many things as i have you don't always remember each one yeah um the, the xbox connect uh and you do you remember anything about that, Anna? To yeah, it was my it, memory. It was kind oh, of
2: it, it was kind of like an interactive kind of thing. And um there was like a <sighs> th- there was a character in there that used like motion capture kind of technology.
1: That's right. There was. I think I feel like in this one too, I'm there might have been some guy smiley stuff with game shows. I think. Mm-hmm. I think I think that does that does that ring a bell? Was that the yeah. one I had, had worked on? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think those were fun. We got to do some, we got to do some alphabet stuff, um, which, uh, yeah, now I am remembering this now. And so there was, we had to do some alphabet pieces. And so, um, if I recall correctly, I think Guy Smiley was doing, uh, some game show stuff where different letters would, would be, um, would be guest stars, right. Or, uh, they'd have to guess a certain letter. Um, And if it's the ones I'm thinking of, I I remember vaguely something about a Dolly Parton uh, letter. Like I had a Dolly Parton parody that was a letter. Maybe it was letter D. I guess I don't know. Um, But yeah, you're right. There was, there was uh, that happened so so long ago and kind of so briefly um, that I'm having a little trouble calling that one up. You know, and those things are funny too because you, you, I think the the technology was sort of sort of new as far as what we could do interactively um yeah and I know that you know as writers we would sort of sort of write them and and hand them off to the the tech team and so that's one that it doesn't I I, I remember working on it I just don't remember the content of it um, because I don't think I ever saw it in the end I I think um one of one of the difficulties with the with TV and I love TV. I I love writing for TV and I've, I've had this great career and I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. Um but especially with animation there's a huge time lag between the time you write something and the time that it actually gets out in the world. Um I feel like the very last episodes I wrote of Odd Parents I I think it was something like 3 or 4 years it might have even been more between the writing and they're actually being on TV, um, to the point that, uh, like you know, and a lot of this has to do with uh, the Nickelodeon schedule and and what their priorities are. Right? Um, it's not like broadcast broadcast networks used to be, where you would have a fall season premiere every year and they'd go through May and then do reruns. Um, with cable and now with streamers, the kind of, there's no fall season, there's no fall, perm- there's really not that kind of, uh, the, the business has has changed so greatly, um, so there could be a lag of several years between between the writing and the actual airing of something, and of course, in the meantime, the process of animation is so long and so arduous, Um it goes through so many changes and so many hands that by the time you get something on the air, you you probably moved on to two or three other things, right? Um, I found that challenging when when we were doing um, when we were doing My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic because we had this great fan base. The Bronies were were so excited about it, and the Pegasus Sisters, which is the, the female derivative of Brony, I guess, and um, and and people kind of were were very excited when, when the show would go on and we'd be we as writers were sort of encouraged to to live tweet and get excited about it. It was super fun and super exciting. But when people would ask me like tell you know tell me why you made this choice or that and you kind of have to think like what when, when you're live tweeting it, you're like, ah oh, why did I make that choice? Why see, what how how did that episode come about? Or who who actually like was, was that line rewritten by the board artists? Like, was that my joke? I can't remember. Um, so that's been one of the really more interesting things about this. You don't, there's, there's a lot of time between seeing, writing something and seeing something. If you indeed see it at all, there's a lot of stuff that, that I'm like, Oh man, I, I like the, the Xbox stuff. I, I don't ever think I saw how it turned out. Hmm. I'd love to (laughs) send me a link.
3: Yeah. And yeah, um Abby's Flying Fairy School is an amazing so, I, mean, I remember I remember that a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, sure, and, and, this Sorry, go
3: ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say Leslie's
2: a good friend of ours too. And in fact, as of uh as of taping uh that Leslie's interview is the next to go up.
1: Oh I yes. please please tell her I said uh, I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, she's Absolutely. Uh, she, a one. she's one of a kind yeah. and what an incredible, incredible person and what an incredible mm-hmm. talent. I
0: know. Um, yes, oh, She's, yeah. she's yes, absolutely. Really, one of the sweetest people we've ever had on, and certainly one of our favorites up there we've ever had on the show.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, actually, there's she. She was ex- actually incredibly, incredibly instrumental in my life. Um, when she was doing a show, this is after I'd started writing for Abby's Flying Fairy School, and I was still at Nickelodeon. I was still on the um, on the on the West Coast. Um, I was bi-coastal but I was really based out there for about seven years um, and Leslie came in to do a show on uh, to to record a character on a show that I was writing for called Tough Puppy it did not did Tough Puppy did oh, not yeah. last too long
0: yeah. um,
1: but I but I written a couple of episodes of that and uh, Leslie came in to do a voice and I got to introduce myself to her and say hey Leslie I'm, I'm Ed Valentine I've been writing for Abby's Flying Fairy School for several months now and um, i told her that i love puppetry i loved her work and she suggested that i go to the o'neill festival international festival of puppetry um, which is held at the o'neill theater center in connecticut oh, um, nice. oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh you right. know yeah, okay yeah. great yeah yeah um, yeah except yeah. yeah, i
3: know pam is oh there too, like, like currently yeah. Yeah. pam
0: Marciero is the uh director of the o'neill yep. yeah
1: Pam is fantastic, um, oh, and and I did. Also, so previous my,
0: guest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, another this, previous guest. Is that right? Okay, great. Yep, yes. So, yes.
1: so Pam, um, I you know at that point uh, because I had really only been writing for the animated segments. At that point, I hadn't. I don't think I'd written any street segments yet. I'd never been on set, and so I didn't know. I didn't know any of the puppeteers, but I started to get to know them. I did go and and develop my own puppetry work. At the O'Neill, after you know, I, I knew my time at Odd Parents was winding down, and I wanted to do something that was sort of as far away from Hollywood as I could get, just to just to shake things up a bit. Um, and I thought, you know, puppetry is is a love that I have, and with Leslie's encouragement, I, I sought that out and applied and got in, and that's been a huge, huge force in my life. I became very, very good friends with Tyler Bunch, who is just oh, a wonderful yeah. person. Um, yes. Not only is he a wonderful a wonderful actor and a wonderful person, and a wonderful puppet actor. But he's a great, excuse me, actor in his own right. Oh yeah, um, he's mm-hmm. done a lot yeah. of so wonderful Tyler,
2: on camera acting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yes. done a lot yes. of
1: incredible stuff. Um, and I've Tyler's Tyler's been in a number of my plays. Um, and he, I, I just think he's an incredible, incredible talent and 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 a great person. Um, so it was this really like the even though I thought I was kind of doing the O'Neill to, to maybe try something different than Hollywood, I ended up, um, I ended up meeting all these wonderful people who kind of have enriched my, my creative life. So I've been very, very lucky to, to, to get to call them friends and collaborators um, throughout the, the past year or so. And I had Leslie to thank for that.
3: Uh, so you also write some of the Sesame Street Muppets tweets on
1: Twitter. Can you talk a bit about that? <laughs> yeah that was super fun um that was uh I was, tweet, I was tweeting a lot for elmo um back in or i guess as i should say helping elmo tweet right because uh, his, his <laughs> sure we'll to go type. with that yeah, yeah. Hard, it's, it's <laughs> very hard it. to type it's, it's, yeah it's very hard to type when when you're a small red furry monster so um so <laughs> i was <laughs> yeah I, I was helping elmo tweet um and and so I think um, and I did some big bird tweets too. I think I did some count tweets um, for a while um, was, was working with those characters. Um, that was, that was really, really fun. I mean, it was sort of, as I recall in the early ish days of Twitter and we were all sort of figuring out like what, what is this medium and how do you communicate um, a character through that? Um, you know, can you can you uh, communicate suspense? Um, you know what? What? What humor looks like when it's back then? It was 140 characters was the was the limit, right? Um, I mm-hmm. one of the weirdest things now that I think there may be no limit now. I'm not sure. It it feels there was something great about having limits as a writer, right? You're like, okay, here here it is. Here's my here's my here's this box that I have to fit this into. How can I put myself and the character I'm writing for in you know into that? box of rules and still come out with something authentic and real and lively um so there was a point at which elmo was going for the he, he was going down to cape canaveral i believe that's correct for the final space shuttle flight um, and he was doing a lot of public appearances uh about space shuttle flight to publicize space flight and NASA and um, astronomy and really let kids in on the science of that. Um, He had some really, if you look back in the archives, he had some really amazingly adorable space outfits like astronaut outfits. Um, Oh, yes. Yes. It was super, super sweet. Um, And I think, you know, for me as, as his helper, as his, as his tweeter, um, it was it was kind of exciting to to learn a lot of learn little bits of science and and try to make them digestible for the audience and and you know really through Elmo's eyes of seeing kind of how do you convey that um, momentousness of the very last flight of this this spacecraft when I was growing up the shuttle shuttle flights were you know so exciting every time one of them would take off and this was really the end of an era so you know how do you communicate that uh from a character who is very young himself like how do you how do you kind of communicate that end of an era and the science behind this um Kevin Clash was uh still Emma's puppeteer at that time oh, and yeah. uh oh. you know I remember he did what a talent inc- incredibly incredibly talented and I um so I was I, I remember being home in New York and visiting my parents in New Jersey um and kind of and kind of so this, these things were happening. Um in, in some other cases you you write your tweets and, and they go out at later times. But this was because it was tied to a particular event, um this historical event that where the press was there, it was a, a very live um kind of situation, right so so there had to be tweets um, that were ready to go at a moment's notice and things were sort of changing on the ground and I just remember um, watching Kevin do a um, do do a uh, an interview with Elmo um, and just the way he handled that crowd like I I remember watching it remotely watching his press conference um, and he was just so uh really really wonderful at making that character come to life in the way he could really to to play him. Ryan Dillon is now playing Elmo and Ryan is oh, yeah. equally adept mm-hmm. and just extraordinary at what he does. Um but it was it was one of those like it it really was exciting kind of in those early days being like oh yeah now like we've 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 got this whole team making sure that Elmo gets the word out about this this shuttle flight and and to be part of it was was really exciting.
0: Uh-huh. so moving on from Sesame Street you kind of brought this up earlier you wrote scripts for a number of other tv series including the fairly odd parents which you had brought up yep. earlier. What was it like writing on that show?
1: Oh my gosh um you know so sesame of course is you know, I think when I was a kid Probably the target was four to six years old. I, I mm-hmm. think the, the target has grown increasingly younger a little bit. I think it might be now two to five years old, maybe, maybe even skewing a little bit younger. Um, Odd Parents was really wild because the, the target was six to 11 and up, I would say. Right. And so the things you can do um, and, and have the characters say there's, there's sort of a, there's sort of a cheeky humor that that is very different from the humor in Sesame street. Um, and of course the characters sometimes insult each other on non-parents in a way that they would never, ever do on the street. Um, and, and so it kind of was, it was fun for me to, to kind of, uh, and again, that was really the first job that I had. That was, that was happening I think concurrently with Abby's flying Fairy school. So working on those two different sides of my brain a little bit, um, the kind of sweeter, more heartfelt stuff for for Abby's flying fairy school, and the and the more edu- openly educational stuff, right? Um, though I tend to believe that everything that a kid watches is educational. I'm I'm always uh, I uh, I mean that saying that not everything and nothing should be pedantic and teachy, but I'm very aware that anything a kid on the tv to watch um because kids are so new to the world that they're soaking in everything and so that so that you're you're um you are teaching right no matter no matter what you're doing um i'm i'm always a little aware of that and there are shows that i i wouldn't probably write for because i think the sense of humor can be mean or yeah makes uh, sense. or crass um uh, if it's if it's a kid show i i really that's not my sense of humor and, and i sort of stay away from that that being said odd parents i think the stipulation was those characters obviously timmy loves cosmo and wanda and they really really love him um but within that parameter timmy is timmy is kind of a wild kid and uh he is he is, he can be greedy he can be uh he can act out he can you know, you you want to stay away from Braddy, but certainly um he's he's not a goody two shoes and that was that was really kind of that was really kind of refreshing. Um I could go and it's, it's kind of back to sesame for a second. I mean it's why Oscar is fun to write for. Um yeah. Oscar is super fun to write for because um as opposed to everybody else on the street, he you know really doesn't give a toss what he's what he's up to. Um he yeah. he's He's fully himself and the characters on the street love him right um they they love him for who he is they love him anyway so so I think there of course there's there's a good heart at the center of odd parents but um it was fun kind of exercising my brain um, to think you know what what do you, what what does Timmy want right like he's he wants more and more and he wants bigger and he wants he wants some very worldly things. And so what are the, what are the consequences of those actions and how can they be, how can they be funny? Um, I just really loved, uh, loved the humor in that show. Um, and the visual humor was just so great. I I love working with board artists. Um, I love handing off a script and seeing what they, um, what they bring to it. I I remember, um, just sort of the, the very first episode I wrote of, um, Odd Parents. When I was uh, still a fellow before I was hired on for the show, was called Flyboy, um, and it came from a, a, a very vivid experience I, I have of watching. Um, they used to show like black and white horror movies from the fifties, thirties uh, through fifties on like Saturday afternoons on TV, um, and I remember one very bright sunny day when I, I had to be like four or five. Um, and I remember watching the old Vincent Price movie, The Fly. Uh, and old. So I, either it was in black and white or my TV was in black and white at the time. Uh, uh, and I remember being absolutely terrified by the movie The Fly, um, the original Fly movie. And um, that's, that's what became the basis for Flyboy, that Timmy was really excited to see, um, See this old, old. I, I guess we had it. I don't remember if the movie in Flyboy was black and white, but it was certainly in 3D. And so he was with 3D glasses and they were popping out. And somehow uh, Cosmo and Wanda's kid, Poof, um, their fairy baby, Poof, um, poofed the head of a fly onto Timmy and Timmy's head onto a fly's body. Um, and oh. it was kind of the, the, hijinks, the hijinks that ensued. Um, so, kind of shrinking Timmy down and, and putting him in peril that way was was really kind of personally satisfying, um, and and it was uh, kind of a way of exercising that old old movie exorcising, not exercising, but exercising that old movie scared the pants off me because that was really really scary for me as a little kid.
3: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So you also got to write for the DC Junior series, talk to Stephens. Can you talk a bit about writing for that? Love that show. Yeah,
1: I'm glad you guys like that. I'm I'm really proud of of being on that show. I, I wrote a couple of episodes in season one, and I was writing on season two, and maybe a couple after that later. Um, but certainly, uh, yeah, I was on staff there at season two. Um, I'm I'm proud of what that show did. I know that anecdotally there were. Lots of uh, of stories of kids who you know who were telling their doctors and nurses uh, when they go in for a checkup. Like I was a little scared of the needle, but you know I know that if I sing this song, I'll feel better, and there's a way of passing the time. Or I won't um, I won't be as scared. I know this isn't going to last long, and like I, I just really loved that the show had that effect on people, um, and you know, and that that it was. I mean I don't know about you but I was I, going to the doctor getting a shot as a kid was really scary right yeah I really, yeah I, I dreaded mm-hmm. it all week I still hate it it's not my not my favorite thing um but the fact that in any small way um you know we could we as as writers could could have a a way of helping mitigate that and and give give kids a way through that was was I thought really really beautiful I I thought the show um just looked great i loved the world of that and i really thought that the it was an incredibly ingenious uh idea of of how to in how, with, again without ever being preachy or teachy um kind of encouraging kids to to take care of themselves and and the other people around them um not just their bodies but also their emotions and um to take care of each other i think that there was there was a sweetness about that um that i thought was really helpful uh when i was a kid there was there was a show i i, I don't know if you've ever seen this but called slim good body um did you ever hear a slim good body oh heard of gosh.
2: it yeah no, 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 no. It sometime
1: because uh Slim good body was was a grown man in like a like like a visible body suit so he had a body he had a body suit on and you could see like his innards his heart and his you know his liver and his lungs and all this stuff and 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 like he was you know no no shade no shade on some good body but there was uh, there was the, the it was very teachy to me as a kid um and it was it was sort of a little borderline creepy i guess right with with this like tight bodysuit that you can see the see all the body parts through there was just something like, Doc McStuffins, to me, was the right way to teach kids about health. Oh, um, yeah,
2: definitely. Right?
1: Like, like I, you know, the, the episode, the very first episode I wrote for them was uh, called, I'm really proud of this title. It was about two little monkeys called Ben and Anna. And uh, they were, like, they, they were attached by Velcro, like those monkeys you get at, like, a carnival. Oh, um, yeah and and uh <laughs> and they and they love to they're huggy monkeys they love to hug each other they're their brother sister and their best friends um but when ben's ben's patch his his huggy patch um i believe we couldn't say the word velcro because that's a trademark name but uh but it was uh we had to call it a hook and loop patch i think was what we had to call it when his hook and loop patch got ripped off he could no longer hug his sister anna and he had to stay overnight in the hospital so it was about um you know, it was about what happens when when you go to the hospital overnight. Like, in, like, will I ever see? Well, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm going to be alone there overnight. What do I? What do I do? Um, luckily, Ben was okay. He made it through okay and, and got to see his sister again the next day. But I got to call the. I I I was walking along the beach and I came up with the title of Ben Anna Split. And I was like, yes, Banana Split. Oh yeah, uh, clever. <laughs> Um, very clever whatever. title was, yeah very clever that was one of my proudest titling titling moments um and uh and so um yeah like just just the right so that one's not about an actual health problem right but it's it's about how to cope with the emotions of um of fear and um you know needing to yourself into the, the hands of professionals who will who will take care of you overnight yeah he had to he had to stay overnight while his while the glue on his huggy patch set um and everybody luckily took good care of, of ben and he was able to hug his sister again in the morning it was just like that being able to do things like that um and you know you you imagine that hopefully somebody who needs to hear that who's in a situation a kid who needs to hear that um Will will have seen that episode and maybe take that with them into what could be a really scary situation. Um, and I I really love being a part of that.
2: Uh, you also co created and directed a web series called You Got Ghost. How did that come about?
1: Wow, you went in a deep dive. Um, mm-hmm. I um, You did your research. Uh, you got Ghost was super fun. Um, there is an amazing amazing comedian. Named Britt Swenson, who uh, does um, so. My partner is uh, named Jorge Avila. He's a concert violinist here in the city, um, and uh, here in New York City. Um, and he has a lot of really great musician friends. One of them was Britt Swenson, um, who uh, is a violinist, but also is a comedian. She would she would do stand up. She'd host stand up nights in the city, um, and she would often bring her violin on stage and. Uh, she loves she loves crazy wigs. She loves uh, she loves developing characters, and she's really one of the very funniest people that I've ever met. Um, and Britt and I, I, I can't remember which one of us came up with the idea, but you know, we're having lunch one day or something, and we were like, we. She lives in Colorado now, but she was back in the city, and we we got together, and she was like, we should do something. We should make something that's just for us um just as an experiment and um and and just see how it turns out um, and so uh, we decided to make I, I have a puppet character named Spike who's uh, kind of a he's uh, Spike from Boston is is a uh, kind of a potty mouth Boston sock puppet um oh, with, nice. uh, uh, and and he's uh, he he's he's a little rough around the edges um, but we figured that Spike would be uh, the cameraman for, uh, kind of a, kind of a, a down on her luck exorcist that would Brit would play. And then Britt would play all these different people in their orbit and people whose houses she needs to go to, to, um, to exercise their demonism. using the word exercise more than I thought I ever would in this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> so I think we, we, we just did it on my, um, we did it on, on my iPhone. Um, like we, we spent like a couple of days on it. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot of it through, but she, she came from Colorado to do it. So we didn't have a lot of time. Um, I learned a lot from that. I think, you know, I learned that I needed better sound equipment for one thing. Um, Cause we're, we're, we did a lot of like outdoor shots. Um, But uh, I think one of the great things that came out of that, that I love to leave people with is that we have inside your phone whatever kind of phone you have we have a recording studio and a movie studio and an editing studio and an effects studio plus we have the means of distribution there um because you can you can upload it right from your phone um and you can like it's this incredible tool that i really wish i had when i was growing up because i think it it made getting something out in the world really easy, um, making something really easy. Um, I think a lot of people, especially when they're just starting out, think they need to like, oh God, I need to I need to buy all the equipment and I need to like learn all this stuff. And yeah, by all means, have good equipment and and learn everything you can. Like, I think all of that, I'm not denigrating any of that. Like go to film school. But at the same time, Making something and having the, the means of production and distribution in the palm of your hand is really powerful. And you learn so much practically and you learn so much about yourself when you make things, when when you, when you actually, you're like, ah, oh, I had this idea for a story. I just want to figure out how to get it out there. Um, I think the other thing I learned from that was, you know, Britt's attitude was like, who cares if no one watches it? Like, let's do something that makes us laugh and make let's do something that there's no stakes. She kept saying there's no stakes of this. Like nobody was nobody was like, when are you doing that thing? Right. We're just like, we're doing it for ourselves. Um, and and getting to work with her up close and seeing uh seeing her seeing her comedy and seeing those characters that she came up with um was super, super exciting. Uh and and going into it with that like so many times right like there's a lot of the things for for my professional life are fairly high stakes right there's a lot of money there's a lot of reputations on the line um you you know if you're a tv writer and you um like you're behind on your script uh even by a day or a couple of days you can really grind the the calendar the production calendar into a halt. so you i can't overstate like how important it is when when you're a tv writer to to like not be like oh i'll hand this in when i feel like right like to you really have to stick to your deadlines earlier is better um so i think going into the work with such high stakes um that you know where there's hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake if your calendar gets lost to a little film that I made on my iPhone um with Brit and a bunch of crazy costumes and wigs was really refreshing and it was it was a great it it was just a great tonic to the other stuff we did and it was and again I think I said this to you before the the I know we talked about the the time it takes for something to actually go on the air is so lengthy. Um, So to like write something, make something, improv something, and then like get it out within the week was, was really great information. Like, here we go. Let's, let's go, let's go do this. Let's see what people say. Um, I highly recommend it. Even, even as, um, you know, you, you may all go out into the world and, and make things and take, wait to take your time and make sure that things are um things are just right before and everything's in place before you do them there's also some use to to going out in the world and doing it trying it like I ne- i've never made a movie on my iphone before let's see how this works um like make it put it out get feedback from it and try to um getting information is really hard where things take a long time. And also there are a lot of gatekeepers in the world, right? Like Mm. there's so many, there's so many ways that, um, there's so many people who, who are, are paid to say no in Hollywood. Um, And uh, they say no for lots of good reasons. I think they're all, they're all pretty much all money related. Right. So, so like you go through a, a, you often go through periods. I often go through periods where, where you, you're like, I mean, look, a show I was developing, uh, two shows I was developing in 2022 got, just got shut down because the business was changing, right? Like one producer left uh, her company and then they killed all the productions that she had been championing. Um, And another one, Uh, was being developed for a toy company and the toy company um, decided that it just
0: didn't,
1: that the creators of the show, I was, I was brought on as a writer, but the creators uh, like after, after like a year of time, they had they decided that there wasn't enough toy potential in the show. Um, And that was those, those things are kind of heartbreaking. And, and they, I'd spent, in both of those cases, like a, one was like a year and a half of my life on, and another was was probably almost a year. Um, so y- things fall apart, things get shut down when you work at that level. Sometimes it's great to take your phone and be like, I've got some talented friends, I'm gonna make this thing. I'm gonna, I think anybody, no matter what your professional status can, can learn from that and benefit from that. I, highly recommend it which you're already doing I mean, you're making a podcast which is awesome um, you're getting it out in the world yeah. so yeah, I'm, I you. have to huge props thank for that I'm really happy thank for you you are doing this thank,
0: thank
1: you much appreciated much yes.
0: appreciated yeah. you're the I'm howling of wolves <laughs> 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 What's uh, it sounded like a wolf I don't know what exactly it was but it <laughs> Wait, it could have sounded like a wolf. <laughs> and that and that is not a wolf. Okay, thanks, Dad. Oh, Much appreciated. <laughs> I don't I don't know what's going on in this house today, but okay, cool. Anywho, on the subject of projects you created, you have your own puppet and object theater collective, Cardium Mechanicum. Yeah. it's. Um, Can you talk it's... about the creative process for that?
1: Sure. I, again, this goes back to um. This really goes back to Leslie Carrera Rudolph, who encouraged me to go to the O'Neill uh, for for puppetry. Um, and I went back several times, and I started developing my own puppet pieces there. I think the um the aesthetic at the O'Neill, because you have a week or maybe ten days at best, um, to you know from the start of a project to a finish of a project. Now, lots of people do go to work on things they've been working on for a long time. But this it's a great segue, actually, because I think what we're talking about is very much what I was just saying, of, of getting something out there and doing it. Because if you're a participant at uh, the O'Neill for puppetry, you're usually going and you're like, hey, like the first day you sit around in a circle and you're like, I have this idea about um, the, the famous murder case of Lizzie Borden and I wanted to do... Um, a, a piece with a woman trapped inside of a dollhouse and Lizzie trapped inside a dollhouse. And like, you, you, you're you like, does that appeal to anybody else? Like does, and people will, people will respond or they won't respond and you gather people around and like lickety split, you put together um, what you need as far as you like build puppets out of usually out of like um, brown craft paper and cardboard and hot glue Um, you like cobble together a set. This is not like, you know, this is not the Lion King on Broadway. This is, you're like putting it together with paper and glue um, and their concentration isn't on the, if you're a participant, you're by which I mean, just somebody who's, who's going not with a, not with a project they've been working on that they're hoping to take to a bigger stage, but just something, a notion really that they're trying to, to work up the focus isn't on making the most beautiful puppet or like the, the perfectly working, um, marionette. It's about using very simple materials to give a puppet life and really with the concentration on manipulating the puppet so that you can channel human emotion through it. Um, that aesthetic was really, really, um, really powerful to me that, um, like okay, you, I don't need to be the greatest sculptor or painter. Um, I don't, you know, great. I can learn to sew. I can learn to work with felt. But I have the materials in in my craft closet that I can use to make a, a simple human figure that I can tell stories with. Right. Once once you have figures or objects, you can start to tell stories. And so, mm-hmm. Cardium Mechanicum, um, the which is full Latin or, or, uh, kind of bastardized Latin for heart in the machine. And I think the, the idea that putting the beating heart into objects that are not alive, um, you can tell a lot of amazing stories through that. So, um, I've been working on bringing, um, bringing characters to life, um, that are not, actually part of children's storytelling right like it, i i um i i find puppets to be a great tool for all sorts of theater and and not just a they're they're a great tool for children's storytelling but everybody responds to them in in some way um and so uh yeah i've i've been working with my uh, my object and, and movement Object and puppet movement collective called Party and Mechanicum um, I started a new theater called Beekeepers Theater um, at beekeeperstheater.com, uh, which is up in Sheffield, Massachusetts, um, up in the Berkshires, where, um, where we've been bringing kind of great talent from New York and uh, the Berkshires and beyond to start to uh, incubate new work. We're really focused on incubating new plays and new work. Um, out, sometimes outdoors, um but we have a monthly night at the local town hall there, and we're gathering more and more people um i i love I, I hope to keep doing more stuff with cardium and certainly doing more stuff with the beekeepers there um yeah puppets puppets are a, a huge part of my life and uh and and i I just find them an endlessly fascinating uh quasi life form <laughs>
2: definitely so aside from writing for a tv series you've also written many plays can you talk about those
1: yeah um i think i mentioned it before that um theater uh and and this again circles back to what we've been talking about the last few minutes i think um plays can be immediate um there was one year where i wrote a uh, I, i wrote a short play a day for uh 365 days, that was kind of based on an exercise by the playwright, Susan Laurie Parks, who did, did the same thing, did it brilliantly. I'm not gonna claim I did it brilliantly, um, but just the the act of, of putting pen to paper. And I, for a lot of those, I actually wrote longhand instead of on the computer. A lot of them are plays of a few lines or um, a page or a little bit more. Starting with an image or a character or a phrase, um, a lot of those, like you can, you'd be amazed how, how much, and when I, I do teach and I coach writers, um, I love reading people's writing, uh, especially as they're kind of coming up and developing their own voices. I'm really good at encouraging people to do that. Um, and one of the things that I often start with in my teaching is to start with a one page play exercise. You'd be amazed at how, how much story you can get, um, in just a few lines or in one page, it's it's pretty remarkable how all the elements of of a story uh, can be present in in a very very short amount of time. Um, a lot of my plays are are bigger. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I think I said before I I work with a lot of Americana. I'm I'm interested in folk tales and fables. I've written I, I did do a puppet piece about Lizzie Borden, as I as I may as you may guess. Um, but then I did a uh, I wrote a, a full length about about the Lizzie Borden tragedy um, uh, with no spoiler alerts. I won't say who I think did it, um, but uh, but I've I've written um I, I am often inspired by true crime or American folktales or fables. Um, and I like trying to figure out who gets to tell the stories and excuse me, what stories we have what stories we've been that have been passed down to us and like, and are they true? Um, I'm, I'm very interested with uh, like who gets to tell the stories and whose stories get told. Um, I did write a play called Bunyan's Body, uh, which is a, a, a full length play. Um, I mentioned it before about a little girl who tries to, a little girl in a mining town, a logging town, it's Paul Bunyan's logging town um and what happens when uh when the giant lumberjack dies and his giant body is there what do you do with it and the the little girl um you know especially because the, the whole town their whole economy is destroyed um everything that they built it around is destroyed um and she ends up trying to do what she can which is with her little pail and shovel this one little oddball girl goes to try to bury the giant lumberjack um uh, like that that play for me speaks to a lot of the world we're in where sometimes the rug can get pulled out from you and and mm-hmm. you can feel that everything you've been working towards can can fall apart at a moment's notice um that things that you thought would go on forever um what do you do when that when that happens right? Um, right yeah I've I am constantly interested in um in in not fairy tale or folk tale or fable as fable but uh really having real life resonances for for real human people of like how how do you go on that was a, a, a central question of that play um mm-hmm. and how how you go on when everything um everything seems to be gone um so uh you it, it all ends up well in the end for her and right. for everybody in that town but it takes a little nice. work it takes a little work on the way
3: so, what would you like to say to, to those who have
1: been supporting your work over the years? Oh my gosh, um, Supportive. for for those of you who've been supporting this work and 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 seeing my name in the credits and 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 liking what I do, I just am so grateful um, that that you've been watching and that that people respond to 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 the things I write. Um, you know, I we've talked earlier about how much distance there is between the writing of something and the, uh, and the, and the airing of it um, when, when you're working with television. Um, so I, I really, I've really enjoyed talking to all three of you about this. Um, and I'm so touched that, that people are remembering some of this stuff that, that even has kind of receded into the recesses of my memory, the Xbox, for example, uh, that project now, <laughs> like now it's coming back to me. Um, I, I'm really, really grateful. Um, I, every time I write something, I, I think who, who is out there that needs to hear this and, and who, uh, who is going to enjoy this, who will, you know, who will be touched by this, who will find a laugh in this that comes at the right time. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that people are out there who, who are, are, are liking what I do. Um. And, and are into it and remembering it that that makes me really really happy um and please like check out my check out my stuff at edvalentine.com um links to there'll be links up there of of how people can work with me as a, a coach or a teacher or a mentor um or just get in touch and let me know that you like something um it, reaching out just like you guys did to say hey we we like what you do and we'd love to talk to you about it like i i think it, it warms our hearts, um, and and I hope you found that most people are happy to happy to talk about this stuff because I think we as creators are very grateful to to people who are the audience, um, and and we hope that what we do touches you. I certainly do. Uh, definitely, thank
2: and you. Thank, you. Th- thank you so much. And a link to your website will be in the description down below for people to connect with you. Yep,
1: fabulous. I am always eager to hear from people. Um, guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's been such a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. And the the hmm. very the very last question, since we're about to wrap up that Matt's about to ask is the question we ask all of our guests at the end.
0: Wonderful. So, of course, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Thank you very much. When you think <laughs> of nostalgia, what do you think of, or in your own words, how do you
1: define the word nostalgia? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, I mean... Certainly, nostalgia can have a, a a negative connotation, I suppose, for um this idea of a of a fondness for for time gone by. I don't think of it as a negative thing. I think of it as carrying with you something that carrying with you something that meant a lot to you um and the warm feeling that 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 gives. Um I think uh nostalgia is. Uh, is a good thing. I think remembering the things that that made us happy and trying to um, bring that back into our life or bring in something new that gives you that same feeling is is really important. And it's it's something uniquely human. I don't I don't know that you know sloths or pandas often think about the good old days or uh, the the TV they watched. Maybe I could be wrong. I I've never asked a sloth or a panda. About this, but but I do think I do think this is a uniquely human feeling of that of 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 taking memories and carrying those feelings with us, not just into the present but into the future, and and wanting to share share those great feelings and great memories with the people around us is is just chef's kiss. It's just a wonderful thing.
2: Ah, great word send on
1: yes.
2: well ed thank you so much for taking the time to do this this was a blast yes, yes thank you, you very much
3: thank you this. thank you this so and much thank you, yes and thank sick. you so much for for what you're doing to be a power of lives and you know keep up your great work and cannot can i wait what's what's next in store for you
1: thank you guys so much yes. all the best to you yes, and absolutely. uh hope to talk to you again one day soon
3: yes, yes keep yeah. in touch i'll let you yes, know when this
2: sure. goes right. up
1: please do thank you yes. so much have a great day okay
2: thank uh, you you too, you too. It's goodbye from us as well.
3: Yes indeed. It yes. Goodbye from us. Yes, absolutely. Enjoy our time at Valentine.
2: Yes. Absolutely enjoy your time with Ed. And as always, what do we say, Jake?
3: Keep nostalgia alive. Can I wait stay tuned for more fun episodes coming away as always? And and and, and take care from all of us. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
2: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thank
3: you for tuning in to another
2: wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep
3: nostalgia alive. Bye bye.